0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Roses and Rhetoric. I'm your host, Jimmy Hackett. Joining me today, special guest host on their second appearance as a as a uh, surprise guest host, Joe Mads, who also does our uh, excellent film reviews. Um, today's episode actually will primarily be about the film review that Joe did this week. We're going to get to that in just a few moments. Um, before doing that, wanted to revisit a couple of topics that came up last episode. Joe and I, Joe Stanford and I were talking about... Um, the, uh, the Innocent Eye uh, in Neuroscience, the uh, paper title Just Looking, um, basically a paper arguing that uh, it is essentially impossible to have data-driven discoveries in science, but that discoveries in science come from uh, thinking new ideas. And I wanted to revisit that because I felt we, we could have made the uh, author's argument a little bit stronger. Um, and Joe, if I say anything you agree or disagree with, feel free to jump in, of course. <laughs> sure. Uh, so um, basically the author's conclusion is uh, a, a, a commentary on where discovery comes from. When that At its heart, science and discovery in science uh, comes from thinking and from thinking new thoughts rather than collecting new data points. Um, and basically this is the argument the author uses to argue against ideas like the innocent eye, which is this concept of seeing things just as they are without allowing our preconceived notions to influence what we see. The author of the paper argues that, in fact, that's a <clears throat> essentially impossible to do, that every time we observe something, we're observing it in a, in a context of understanding. We understand what we're looking at. If I show you a lamp, you see a lamp because you know what a lamp is. If you showed that lamp to a person who never saw a lamp before, they would have no idea what they're looking at, right? So, um, and, and, and again, I think this has important considerations, of course, this all ties back to, to an idea talked about in David Deutsch's book, The Beginning of Infinity, the idea that facts are theory-laden, um, and that basically, again, from the paper, um, if we cannot provide facts in a theory-independent way, then we cannot discover new facts just by looking. Um so I will uh, read a brief quote from the paper and then we'll move on to the other topic. Uh, again, doing this to make sure that we're giving the author's argument um, in, in the best context. We actually got in touch with the author of the paper uh, over last week. Um, mm-hmm. They told us that they watched the episode, that they that they had a fun time watching it. So um, I to make sure we're doing our part to present them um, accurately. So the uh, yeah, quote I wanted to read from the paper was this. At the risk of bringing the Enmity of the wise upon myself, I will argue against the possibility of data driven discovery in neuroscience research. There is no innocent eye. Our observation reports are inevitably theory laden. This point has been made repeatedly and controversially in this philosophy of science and intersects with heated debates concerning rationalism versus empiricism, among others. The main consequence for our purpose is that one cannot maintain a naive distinction between facts and theories. If we cannot define facts in a theory independent way, then we cannot discover new facts by just, quote, looking at data. OK, so I think I think that's a good place to move on from that paper. Again, you're making sure I'm giving the author's argument in its fullest. Um, I think it's convincing. That's certainly how I think of science. Um, if anybody likes those kind of questions or ideas like that. Again, be sure to check out David Bush's book, The "Beginning of Infinity." Um, okay, let's talk about Afghanistan for just a few moments. I promise sure. this will not be political. Um, this will not turn into a into a Biden bashing or a, a Trump bashing or anything like that. Um, quite frankly, what's going on is too important to try to boil it down to simple little things like that. I don't want to do that here. Um, What is the root of liberation? I will argue that the root of liberation is innovation, both political and technological. And uh, of of course, in a way, it has to be. The only way things change is, again, by people thinking new ideas um, and uh, fighting fighting for those ideas. Again, I think what's happening in Afghanistan right now, not even just with the evacuation, I mean, that's obviously a part of it, but just the, you know, fairly rapid return of uh, of Taliban control. Um, I will, I I would hope for two things. And then Joe, you probably know more about this than I do. So I'll I'll give it over to you and you can, uh, you know, you you certainly follow politics in the news more closely than I am and have a very acute eye for it. Um, So let me, let me just say this. Um, I hope and I fear, or rather, I, I hope that people will not look at Afghanistan as some kind of argument against the idea that hard progress is somehow impossible. Um, I do not feel that way. I think progress is possible. I think progress is real. And um, I think the fact that so many Afghan people, um, at least from what I've seen, at least from what, I, from what I've kind of seen on the news, that uh, many, many people in Afghanistan are, are still willing to fight in some way, maybe not with guns, but certainly with their behavior, with their ideas, um, to secure the freedoms uh, that they had under the previous government rule. I think that's especially true for uh, for women, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. So I <clears throat> I, um, I still believe in the, in the struggle for progress. And I still think that progress is possible and that it is real, that it's not just some kind of illusion. And um Obviously, what's happening in Afghanistan is very sad, but um, I would I would hope the listeners of this show um, do not take that or this event to somehow you know sully the idea that that human progress is possible. Um, that's really all that I want to say about it right now. Um, so I do want to give give it over to you for for this. Like I said, you certainly have a very good eye for for politics and news and that kind of thing. So. Any anything I said you want to challenge
1: or you know agree, disagree, or, or add to now I'll give it over to you. Sure. So. Um as far as the politics go, I think you could if you if you're looking for someone to blame, I think there's out of the four presidents who have overseen part of this, I think one of them had the ability to potentially actually succeed there. And then he decided there was another country that was more important. So However you feel about that, that's how you feel about it but I think I think you know the challenge here was great you know we've had we've we've been there for 20 years right and it all fell apart in days right so and as far as the Afghanistan, the actual people there go because I think that's an important point. I think you know a lot of people have been like, well why you know why should we fight if they're not willing to? and I, mean, I i can totally understand the per, the perception right. i you know i don't necessarily think the us should be fighting forever wars right but i think people should be careful about not denigrating the people of afghanistan when they were trying right. to make any of these points because you know the reality is they have also been fighting this war for right. well more than 20 years depending right. on how old they are <laughs> right no very <laughs> like true the war existed prior to us being there between the taliban and the northern alliance and also, my my understanding is a lot of those troops they were underpaid, underfed, and they were fearing that. I think most of them saw the writing on the wall. It was just kind of like, well, do we fight and lose to the and lose to the Taliban in months or weeks, or do we lay down our arms, prevent the Taliban from coming after our families? If it comes down to that. Because as much right. as the Taliban's putting forth a we've changed a little bit. We're going to be more lenient. I'm a pretty hard skeptic of that. Uh, One of my best friends actually lived in Afghanistan under the Taliban for a bit. And before he was able to get over to the United States and we haven't talked extensively about his time under the Taliban, but I've heard enough to where, yeah, it's as brutal as the worst stuff you've probably ever heard about or imagined. It's true. They're awful. I mean, you know, they shot Malala in the head. Like, right, right. So I, I think, you know, I, I'm not super optimistic about how they're going to treat people. But I do, you know, I do hope that, especially women, like you said, I hope there's some perseverance of at least, at least in cities. I hope there's some perseverance of some rights that they can still go to school or something. We'll see. Right. And yeah, at this point, I really just hope we we get. As many people out, American and Afghan, yeah, as we can. And, you know, fingers crossed that we don't have any more suicide bombings, because obviously that's terrible for everyone involved, especially uh, I actually was working security. That's one of my jobs. And one of the guys was a service member and his one of his family members is also in the service and someone on their base, I guess, died in that suicide bombing his mm-hmm. Family members' base. So that's obviously tough to hear, especially when you're hoping to have them home soon. So, right, exactly right. So, yeah, I just, yeah, like you said, I, you know, I think we shouldn't be trying to all score a bajillion political points right now. Whether, I mean, I think, you know, everyone owns this to a degree. Like I said, I kind of think Obama, Trump, Biden, we're all kind of put in impossible situations where there was no actual right. winning. Right. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any great gain to be had here. And I just hope you know, we focus on the human element of it all. I, I really couldn't agree more. Um, and and certainly I don't want anybody
0: to take the, the words I said previously about, you know, progress, et cetera, as being, you know, either for or, or against war. I, again, those are, those are questions that are, that, that are too big for me. Um, I think, you know, questions like was it worth it or not? It It's hard. Um, yeah, obviously absolutely. you're putting people in danger, you're putting people's lives at risk. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I certainly will not claim to know, um, how to engage in nation building. i, I That's obviously <laughs> not my
1: pay grade. But uh, the, the people who claim to know should probably stop claiming to know. I think right. one, I, one I also, of the lessons here. Yes, I, I think that is very true. But I still think it's
0: fair. I still think it's also true to say, um, again, that the, the, the broader project of human progress is worth it, however we go about achieving yep. it. Um, that those things are real, that they're not just guises on something else, but that real progress does in fact happen. And, um, you know, right now it's too soon to know what, what long-term progress will be made in Afghanistan, but I'm hopeful that there actually will be some. Um, you never walk through the same river twice. The, uh, the uh, Taliban are not ruling over the same people they were in the past. That's just a fact. It's just a matter of fact. Um, how, how different things are, time will tell, but um, it, is, uh, it is not the same country it was in the past. And um, I remain hopeful uh, that there will be some long-term permanent progress there. Um, okay. Anything else I said, or you want to disagree with or uh, we ready to move on to our. No,
1: no. I mean, I think you make a good point, you know, well, that, that was 20 years where, you know, some women were able to get educated and right. I mean, probably some boys obviously had different educations because maybe sure. they went to school with women and that exactly changes your right. perception as well. So, exactly right yeah i mean i i'm generally an optimist long term on humanity despite so many things in the world right right obviously you know it seems like a pretty dark time in afghanistan now but like i said you just you hope for the best you know obviously some people's lives changed whether they are able to stay in afghanistan or they've left but you know i think there's there's some good that came out of this i don't you know like you said is it worth it I think <laughs> that's how do you, uh, right? How do you, anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we we did destroy Al Qaeda. I think that was worth something. Although, obviously, this, as the suicide bombing shows, you know, not, nothing in the war on terror will ever be 100% solved one way or the other. But, right. You know, but, yeah. I think, yeah, like you said, some people's lives change for the better. And hopefully that continues to make the world a slightly better place as we go here.
0: I, I uh, I hope so as well um, okay, one more topic to touch on um, this will be kind of a hodgepodge episode I again to our, to our audience that you know, whiplash I'm sure they're enjoying it um, <laughs> yeah. Joe Joe Stanford made a, what I, I I thought was actually a really important point on uh, the show last week and I really wanted to touch on it again and it was this idea that um, because, because we're unsure of the, um, the uh, nature of consciousness and, uh, you know, pre- precisely how consciousness arises from matter, that, um, that that is a thing you would have to know in order to build a simulation. If, if we are living in a simulation, you would have okay, to know sure. how to simulate consciousness in order to do yeah. that. Okay. And so, until we know how that's, you know, you know what that would even be, um, it's hard to know how possible, you know, simulation theory is or, or or isn't true, or how how likely it is. Anyways, I thought that was an interesting point, but it reminded me. Um, I was thinking about it later on uh, last week, and again going back to David Deutsch, but um, and in the beginning of infinity, but some. In some situations, an artificial of a thing is just the thing itself. An example of that would, I think, be consciousness. If something, in other words, what would it mean to be artificially conscious? I Either something is or it isn't. And the point where you're making something conscious, even if it happens to be like a silicon computer chip, well, you're just a carbon chip. What, what's the difference? I mean, it's, right. it's conscious or it isn't. So the, the artificial version would be true. If And I I don't, I really don't like the simulation theory rabbit holes that seem to be kind of in vogue right now, but I thought it was worth at least covering the basis from what Joe was saying last week. If we really are living in a simulation, we are still conscious and therefore all the things that matter from consciousness still matter, even if we're inside of the computer or not. Take it another way. If we're inside of a universe that really is base reality, we're also just as conscious as we are if we were inside of a computer program it makes absolutely no difference there is no difference and what makes people important is not our physical makeup it's our conscious minds that's the source of humanity and so even if we're living in a simulation do we have values do we have things that matter do we have right and wrong absolutely and where does that stem from humanity which stems from our consciousness from from our ability to be to be human beings um so wherever you're living, it uh, makes absolutely no difference. The arguments for, for a world existence are precisely the exact same, um, whether you're in a simulation or not. Um, and, and again, this distinction between things being real or artificial in some cases don't matter. And a good example of that is creativity. Artificial creativity is just creativity. It's, 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 it's the exact same thing. Artificial intelligence is just intelligence. It, either it's intelligent and it can think and can intuit or it can't. There's, there's no distinction between the two. And um, the same, I think, would apply to consciousness um, as well. Um,
1: any, any, any comment on that before we go over to the movie review or? Um, I mean, I see that you're trying to curry favor with our future robot overlords by recognizing <laughs> their consciousness. So I think that's a solid long-term plan there. <laughs> um, no, I, I think you're right. Like you said, it's if you're conscious, then that's it, you know, <laughs> right. You don't need there's... an adjective upon
0: it. And if it's, you know, they'll say, well, you know, what if the computer behaves just like a person, but it isn't conscious Then it's not a person. I mean, again, it, it, it answers its own question. Either it is or it isn't. It's, it's uh, black and white. Simple as that. Um, and, uh, you know, in some of these realms, the uh, the connotation of artificial um, doesn't matter. Either Either it's intelligent or it isn't. And um, that's all there is to it, folks. Okay. Um, so, yeah, a couple of quick things we touched on. Now, I really I want to get to the movie review, Joe, and this is going to serve as really the basis for today's episode, because I think you hit on some themes in this review that are um, extremely important actually and there's a there's a phrase that you use in this review that i spent about two hours last night thinking about because i really thought it was <laughs> wow. a really interesting <laughs> phrase i'm not gonna tell you what it is i'm you let's i'm gonna no, have to like you your review, and then i'll and then i'll get to it after the fact so joe let's go ahead
1: and go on to your movie review for this week all right so the movie this week was space jam a new legacy which you can watch on HBO Max. Um, If you've seen the first Space Jam, you probably already have a pretty good idea of what it's about. Very similar storyline. We got LeBron James and the Looney Tunes have to win a basketball game or an egomaniacal AI played by Don Cheadle will imprison LeBron and his family and delete the beloved cartoons. Uh, Is it good? No. I mean, if you're a LeBron fan who thinks the original Space Jam is legitimately good and can't get enough of obvious references to things you already know and love, then maybe it is, but otherwise, it's definitely not. Of course, the reason this movie exists is that a lot of people do feel that way about those three things. Give or take Messi and Ronaldo, LeBron has been the most popular athlete in the world for over a decade. While nostalgia has been so thoroughly confused with quality, the two have become indistinguishable for many people, which is why the first Space Jam remains beloved, and pop culture seems to be slowly, or perhaps quickly, devouring itself with regurgitated content. And content is the key word here, because film is meant to be, or at least aspire to be, art. But movies, at least the ones with the big budgets and big box office, or streaming numbers, increasingly feel like products to be sold first, second, and third, And then hopefully there's room for some hints of original artistry at the end. That's what Martin Scorsese was talking about when he said superhero movies aren't cinema. Plenty of them are well made from a technical standpoint, but they don't challenge or surprise you, take you to an emotional or thematic place you've never been before. I'm ranting now, and to be fair, I think Scorsese sells a number of superhero films short, Logan Forever. But Space Jam, a new legacy, encapsulates this product over art dynamic better than anything I can recall seeing before. It's not just that it's a sequel to a movie that was already built entirely on celebrity, but that its primary function is an hour and 55-minute commercial for all things Warner Brothers. While many of its studio brethren have felt out of place debuting on HBO Max rather than the grandeur of the big screen, the new Space Jam feels right at home as a draw to get more subscribers. In order to get their team together, LeBron and Bugs must travel to various virtual worlds of the Warner Brothers universe, ranging from Harry Potter to the Matrix to Casablanca to Austin Powers, with the Rick and Morty appearance just for good measure. Some of them have jokes that land, but few of them make any sense from a character standpoint. And where the first film had an arena appropriately filled with minor Looney Tunes characters to watch the climactic game, this one stocks its sidelines with the likes of King Kong, the Iron Giant, Pennywise, and the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange. The entire movie is overflowing with the needless shoehorning of WB characters whose only purpose seems to be spawning dozens of here are the cameos you missed listicles and reminding people that, hey, a lot of these titles are also streaming on HBO Max. And yet, despite all of this, I didn't totally hate it. The usage of a few of those Warner Brothers properties actually pays off. Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner duking it out in the world of Mad Max Fury Road is appropriate considering that film's unhinged mayhem. And Lola Bunny's introduction on Themyscira attempting to earn a place with Wonder Woman and the Amazons sets up her role in the film as the most capable of LeBron's teammates who will, quite literally in one sequence, fill the Dwayne Wade role on the Toon Squad. The fact that she's spoiled in her quest to join the Amazons by a nagging Bugs LeBron also clarifies the most interesting choice of the film to make LeBron and Bugs the biggest obstacles to their own and their respective families' success. Yes, Don Cheadle plays an evil computer program and runs away with the movie by channeling some of his funnier die Captain Planet energy. But he's, the, he's not the character most responsible for LeBron's son feeling alienated from his father or the rest of the Looney Tunes being happy to explore other worlds apart from Bugs Bunny. LeBron is a controlling dad unable to relate to his youngest son and forcing him to go to a basketball camp rather than the video game programming one he wants to. While Bugs is quite simply a selfish ass, Credit to the writers for being willing to make their leads unlikable, and LeBron for being game. It's hard to imagine MJ doing the same. But the redemption of both characters feels too sudden and perfunctory, and LeBron is out of his depth in all the dramatic scenes. But hey, points for trying. That sort of thematic thought is more than the original Space Jam can claim, a movie that essentially boils down to Michael Jordan is really good at basketball. But I find myself still slightly preferring the former film. Maybe that's just a product of the nostalgia I lambasted earlier. But that movie had the sense to keep its runtime under 90 minutes, as well as legitimately funny sequences with the players who lost their basketball skills, and a shockingly good soundtrack featuring a number of original songs, one that even won a Grammy. Also, it didn't feel like a harbinger of the end times in film. Perhaps it's unfair to saddle a movie starring an athlete in a bunch of cartoons with the weight of pre-existing IP devouring mainstream filmmaking but then maybe the film shouldn't have spent two hours throwing it in our face. Grade C minus other films to watch for more space jam, space jam for a movie where LeBron James is funny train wreck. And for Don Cheadle in a comedy that is very much its own thing. The guard. So there you have it. Maybe,
0: uh, was that your most brutal review yet? You think C minus? I'm trying to think if you gave us any ones that were lower
1: than that. I don't that, know. That, that is definitely the most negative review I've give, given you guys so far.
0: <laughs>
1: um, well, I'll be taking that off the watch list. No, I, uh, <laughs> I,
0: I uh, of course, saw the first base jam back in the day, thought it was enjoyable. I haven't seen it, you know, since then. I don't, I don't even know how long ago it was. Um, do you think, uh, do you think the, um, in your opinion, the uh, supremacy of the first Space Jam over the second one is one more notch in the Michael Jordan v. <laughs> do you think it's going to be one more in the win column for MJ?
1: Yeah. Or what do you think? Uh, bizarrely, people on the internet sometimes seem to be viewing these movies in that perspective, which makes no sense. <laughs> but I, I, like I said, I think I prefer the first one, but I don't really think it has anything to do with Michael Jordan. So, <laughs> right. Let's, uh, so, unless he was the one who like wrote the song Space Jam, which right, can, right. then I'll give him the win, which they don't even use that song in this movie, which oh. <laughs> I don't understand how you do that. Uh, of course, I think it goes without saying. I,
0: I will say I completely agree with the train wreck being a phenomenal LeBron James showcasing for for comedic roles. He, he kills it in that movie. He's hilarious. It's a, it's a great.
1: I mean, it was good,
0: right? And it's just a good movie in general. I really yeah. enjoyed that movie, but uh, certainly LeBron James uh, kills it in that role. So, LeBron, if you're watching this, I'm sure you are, of course. <laughs> if you're watching this, uh, keep up, keep up the good acting work, uh, but maybe steer, maybe steer clear of grammatical uh, from our, from our feedback. Um, okay, Joe. So here's here's the the phrase or the idea that you put in this review that I thought was worth exploring in some detail art versus product. Mm. I thought this was really an interesting distinction to make. I wanted to put a couple of, uh, of phrases in your head um, and let you run with them a little bit. And then I have a couple of quotes that I want to read um, to further this. So here's, here is here is a, a question I have for you, or maybe a a perspective on, on what a good writer takes or what it takes to be a good writer. To surprise us, the writer must discover something we don't know. They must uncover a secret, which is hard, and then deliver it in a way that our pre-existing concepts can understand it, which is also hard. And when doing all of this, they must also be entertaining. Um, that's one. Here's another one. Is there, is there one secret or many, is anything funny or is it possible that every punchline is a misunderstanding or maybe just post? <laughs> okay. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about this concept you're talking here about surprising us. Why why should a good movie have to surprise us? What is the, what is the value of a surprise as it relates to storytelling?
1: I mean, obviously I think... On the very base level, we just enjoy surprises, right? It's, sure. it's why M Night Shyamalan is able to still make movies, even <laughs> if, even if at this point we've haven't even liked most of the surprises. Right. The fact that the ones that succeed stick with you so long that, right, you, know, you keep coming back. But that's well, I would say. Very-
0: I think within my Shyamalan, the bigger surprise is that he keeps on making movies, like that's it's actually it's like actually it's like the it's like the meta surprise. It's like the surprises oh, that is right, still giving like, <laughs> him.
1: Uh, obviously, yeah, that's just on the very base level. Like when I when I talked about it, and obviously when you know when we're talking that quote you just used, we're not actually talking about like giant twists where, you know someone's been dead the whole time or whatever. But uh, you know, I just think, I, I, and I, I think this is one of those things that we're seeing conflict in how people receive film and television and what gets greenlit is. You know, some people real like they really do just want they want comfort food. They're like, I know what this is. I like it. Continue to give it to me. Um, There's there's a lot of debate going on right now, like Ted Lasso season two, where now Ted Lasso's gone from like under the radar to this huge hit show. And there's a you know backlash to the backlash. There's a whole bunch of stuff that some of it's not that interesting, but the one that is to me is some people are just like. Don't critique the show the way you critique a drama. It's just there to make people feel good. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, everyone's entitled to their own perspective. I think that's a really limiting perspective for a show that I think is really good. I think we should critique it in the same way we critique any other strong work of art. So I'm like, I, I, I want that show. I want all shows to challenge me and movies, obviously, to challenge me on some level. You know so you can, it can ultimately reach a conclusion I've already met. but make me think or make me feel like one of those two things needs to happen for me to like really buy into a movie or a show is worthwhile. And I think that's a really good point that one reason
0: we like surprises is that a, a surprise at a, at a very basic level, a surprise is a question we don't know the answer to. And yeah. when you're watching a movie, if you already know how it ends there's really not much point in watching it you've already you already know where it's going you already know what the conclusion is you already know what the point is but if a movie is making you think then a reason for enjoying the movie is that you actually have to pay attention to the movie you actually have to be present with the movie to follow where it's going because you don't know where it's going yet there's something yeah. new that hasn't been discovered i think this notion of discovery as it pertains I, again, and this is obviously I'm you know beating a dead horse here, but um, I'm also repeating myself. But <laughs> uh, but let's see, that was a surprise. No, I but this there's a there's a very powerful idea in in, in a few authors who I really admire. Uh, one of them is, is Peter Thiel, uh, who basically the, the the heart of progress is somehow uncovering a secret, and I think what a, a good writer is someone who can discover a secret and in order to be a good writer or rather in order to make a discovery like that you have to be a good writer because it's hard Mm -hmm. to find those things and it's hard to find some surprise that is worth sharing um and it isn't easy i mean people make movies all the time and i don't quite buy into the joseph Campbell myth you know here of a thousand faces kind of thing but I think it's kind of true. I mean, I, I, I think there are kind of basic story patterns that we, that we tend to use over and over again. And so to, to use those patterns in new and novel ways is very challenging. And to be a, to be a compelling writer and to find something new to say is, um, is, is not easy. And so in some sense, I completely understand why a movie studio uh, would be very cautious of giving a bunch of money to a surprise or a discovery that they're unsure will be worked out. In fact, by definition, they can't be because it has to be new. They can't know how it will turn out because they don't know this thing sure. hasn't been shared yet. So it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's an unknowable question. Um, this, this idea of progress and storytelling, because if you're telling a story that's never been told, you cannot know how it will be received. Um, but I do like that because I, I agree with you that I think, movie should surprise us and challenge us. And in a way, I think if you're a writer, you should feel comforted by that because it allows you to reach towards something like an objective standard that's independent of box office numbers. If you really yeah. found something worth sharing, then as a writer, that should be what comforts you. And even if your movie fails, the fact that you've discovered something is an mm-hmm. objective criteria that you can hold to yourself to know that you made a good film.
1: Yeah. Um, w- one thing I, I I want to push back on them just a little is just the, the idea that like you need that. Like, if you know where something's going, then uh, yeah, that's not, I don't think that's not, that, that's not necessarily a problem. I think as that, long
0: I, as, I agree. I thought I was like, thinking, yeah, I'm I yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, not really, I, I didn't really think I was disagreeing with you. It was just like, yeah. I wanted to like push back on just the, the, the hard and fast idea there. Right. It's because like, I look at like Breaking Bad where, I think from, like, the very beginning, Vince Gilligan was telling people, like, hey, I wanted to see what it was like to have a guy go from Mr. Chips to Scarface. Mm -hmm. Like, there was never a question of, like, hey, will he just quit the drug business? (laughs) Right, (laughs) It's like, he's going to go down this path, but the how and the why is what we care about. Which, you know, again, that's, you know, one of the things in storytelling, you have a lot of different avenues that you can take. Right. I just, you know, I just want you to retake something that matters to you and then that will hopefully matter to me and other people where I like, agree. Like with space jam, I just, you know, it obviously is one of those things where, I mean, maybe there's some dad who's going to watch it and be like, Oh, I should be less of a D bag to my son who doesn't like sports. Maybe the robot. Maybe happen, will watch it. But, right. <laughs> but you know, overall, this is very much clearly a thing where people are like, this will make money. You know, LeBron's like, this will increase my brand. I'm sure, you know, it's a fun idea. It's like, oh, I'm doing a movie like Michael Jordan did. But, you know, it's hard for me to look at this movie and think anyone involved was like, this means a lot. Maybe they loved the first Space Jam, and that's what meant a lot to them. But, like, beyond that, like I said, it's just filled with, here's, you know, this character that you've seen before. Here's this one. You know, there's random cameos from actors who, like, Steven Yuen... From The Walking Dead, Burning, you know he's in there for like one scene, for like one line. You're just like, I guess he wanted to be in the Space Jam movie, like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's, just, I, uh, it's hard to latch on to anything that actually matters at all. Yes, I, I I agree with that, and I and I also agree with your
0: point earlier about knowing where something is going isn't enough, and I and I actually really I actually completely really agree with that. Um, the the path matters, and the the individual choices. Along the way, that yes. are surprises. Again, you know Walter White. May, maybe we knew from the beginning he will become bad, but the reasons along the way were surprises. Mm-hmm. Those are questions that we didn't know the answer to. You know that he had this you know interesting r- relationship with an old lab partner that went bad, and you know X Y right. Z, that the other motivations came out. Those those I I still think fit squarely into the into the surprise required. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, um, absolutely. So. Okay, let me, I'm going to read you two quotes. I'm going to try, <laughs> um, okay, let me, I'm going to preface this by saying, I don't know if this question makes any sense. I, I, I really oh, don't. Oh, well, that's exciting. But I'm going <laughs> to ask it to you anyways. Um, are stories science or are stories technology? Okay, now hmm. let me read you a quote. This is a, from a book called Science Since Babylon. Um, an interesting book for people who are interested in the relationship between science, technology and uh, civilization, history of science, et cetera. Important book. Um, I really quite enjoyed it. It was written quite a while ago, but I still think fairly pressing even for today. But let me, let me read you this quote in regards to that question. Again, stories or film, are they science or technology? This is quoting from Science Since Babylon. So far, I have only spoken of the different outputs of science and technology. One might almost use them for definition of the modes of research. If a man labors, the main outcome of his research is knowledge, something that has to be published openly for a claim to be made, then he has done science. If, on the other hand, the product of his labor is primarily a thing, a chemical, a process, something to be bought and sold, then he has done technology. Here's why I asked that Hmm. question. And it comes back to this notion of discovery. What I can't make my mind up about is what writers are doing. Are writers discovering something to tell us or are they using something about us that we already know in order to sell us a story? I don't know. I think maybe there are writers who do both.
1: Yeah, I... I I think it's probably a full spectrum where some are doing very much one or the other, and some are doing both. Probably the most successful ones are doing both.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. I think a movie like Transformers is a is a yeah. technology, right? Yeah. The primary purpose of Transformers is, and I think Martin Scorsese basically says this this idea that the, the movie, the superhero movie, is like a roller coaster ride
1: yeah that's exactly it's
0: not it's not not a discovery of something human it is a it is a technology it is a product like you were saying earlier i like the idea of a good writer then being somebody who is almost like a scientist in the artistic realm in that again their primary focus is is to try to find something that someone hasn't said yet and a good writer uh is a writer who can do that um and so anyways, I, I posited that question, too. And I, I agree with your answer. I think some films are both. But, uh, but putting it in that framework, I think, is interesting because, again, it focuses our attention on this idea that that good movies challenge us. And how do they challenge us? By being surprising, by by asking questions we don't already know the answer to, and by asking us to try to reach a conclusion about those questions.
1: Yeah. And, you know, to be sure, there's nothing wrong with making a product that you think will sell like that's sure this is ultimately a business that we're critiquing here at the same time absolutely you know and you know as far as the scorsese stuff i think some people took that harder than was necessary like you said like roller coasters are fun (laughs) he wasn't like he didn't compare the other like superhero movies to like garbage he was like you're like a roller coaster a thing that people enjoy but just doesn't have it. Like you get off a roller coaster and unless you had some incredible fear of heights that you <laughs> conquered, you were otherwise unchanged in your life. You had, a, right. it was fun while it lasted and you move on. Obviously, you know, Scorsese with a, well, a lot, or maybe all of his films is aiming for something a little bit more. And I think, you know, the best people are, but you also, you know, if you make something that's just other people can't really grasp, it means a lot to you. Great. It meant a lot to you, but it's not really successful. You need to have some combination of the two. Yes. And I, and I think even maybe even different than a combination
0: is important, but maybe even different than that is a, a good writer. And in fact, going back to our discussion about the neuroscience paper, because we have to be able to take new ideas and understand them, under the filter of our pre-existing ideas, right. a good writer has to understand that framework.
1: Right, understand what you're the, playing with here. Yeah. Right,
0: exactly. I think that that's even true in the in the political framework as well. Go back to the, the abolitionist movement in the, uh, in, in, in the southern United States. The people making the case for abolishing slavery had to understand how to couch that argument in concept that the people they were arguing against would be able to understand, but mm-hmm. so that is a tall order. I think that's a really tall order to be able to do that. And um, I don't know how successful they were. I mean, obviously, we had a civil war, so, <laughs> no, but, but but still, I think you know, in, in a way, what they were trying to do is they were trying to discover something, you know, and what can I discover an idea that can change someone's mind, and that's a really hard thing to do. And good writers are in that position. You know almost by definition I and mean, that's that that is their challenge is to look for those ideas and then like you said to present them in a way that is that is entertaining enough to be to be watched uh yeah. and then important enough to matter so let me read you one more quote from an author i'm i'm sure you're in love with this is from ayn rand the uh, Manifesto. <laughs> where would we be without her joe okay <laughs> Um, I actually really like this book. uh, I'm not an objectivist, but I I actually do write, I do like this book. I think it has some interesting things to say about art in it. Um, Here's a quote. I think this will be interesting too for our discussion about art versus product. An artist does not fake reality. He stylizes it. He selects those aspects of existence, which he regards as metaphysically significant. And by isolating and stressing them, by omitting the insignificant and accidental, he presents his view of existence. His concepts are not divorced from the facts of reality. There are concepts which integrate the facts and his metaphysical evaluation of the facts. His selection constitutes his evaluation. Everything, including, uh, everything included in the work of art from theme to subject, to brushstroke or adjective acquires metaphysical significance by the mere fact of being included or being important enough to include an artist as for instance, the sculptors of ancient Greece, who presents man as a godlike figure, is aware of the fact that men may be crippled or diseased or helpless, but he regards these conditions as accidental, as irrelevant to the essential nature of man, and he presents a figure embodying strength, beauty, intelligence, self-confidence as man's proper natural state. An artist, as for instance, the sculptors of the Middle Ages, who presents man as a deformed monstrosity, is aware of the fact that there are men who are healthy, happy, or confident. But he regards these conditions as accidental or illusory, as irrelevant to man's essential nature, and he presents a portrait figure embodying pain, ugliness, terror, as man's proper natural state. Let me ask you this question. Mm. Must art or must good art allow for a philosophical evaluation of the artist's perspective
1: of humanity? Wow. Huh. I mean, I I think probably most good or at least most great art, you'd be able to do that, I think. I I think the the one thing, hearing that whole passage is i don't know that everyone is always making their overall case (laughs) about like humanity with each work like i you know i think you could to you know use the two examples you know obviously a filmmaker or a writer is open to in one work examining humans as a godlike creature and then in one all the you know the darkness and deformity in another and i think probably the greatest artists are going to do that. They're going to not just be, you know, I think, you know, there are some great artists who hit the same notes in slightly different variations over and over again. And it's effective, but I think, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe not, you know, maybe that is even more impressive in some ways, if you're able to do the same thing, but make it interesting enough each time. So I think you're either doing that though, or I think there are some great artists though, who do, vary in what they're they're trying to say that's probably more so in film than like television or i think you know authors and filmmakers you have more to work with in that regard although i guess tv can do both you can have an episode that looks one way and an episode looks at things from another way like you know i'm a big lost person and that whole show was often about people's varying perspectives about the world about philosophy and how those conflict And smash into each other and I think I think that's often the most interesting thing is trying to look at how different views can collide and so I think I do think to that point though because I'm rambling and I'm not answering your question but yeah I think probably most great art though yes I think you should be able to at least even if you don't actually understand what the artist thinks about the world you should be able to make an argument from what they have made about it You should be able to like dissect it and come up with a thesis and be able to support it. They, they should have given you enough to where you can do that. I think that's an excellent
0: point. And I, I think if, if as an artist, you're counting on your reputation or your Wikipedia page contributing to how somebody interprets your movie, you're doing a bad job. A good film includes the uh, the answers to the questions or at least the information you need for answering them, you shouldn't have to go look other places to understand it. I think I think that film should be self-contained. I think books what? should be self-contained.
1: What up, Prometheus?
0: <laughs> well, well, but that's I let me I, I will extend that to the notion of like a series. So like Star Wars Episode Two can depend on Star Wars Episode One, but it shouldn't have to depend yeah. on Star Trek. You shouldn't have to know. Yeah, oh, no, no. You know, oh, George Lucas, uh, you know, has a mini has a mini as uh, in his bus and therefore that scene makes sense it it should be contained within the artistic world that you create um that that, that. that's what i mean by by being self-contained you shouldn't have to uh know anything about george lucas to know his interpretation of humanity based off of star wars
1: right and you can have like obviously filmmakers are constantly you know stealing although you know it's not actually some horrible thing I think sometimes people are angry that filmmakers copy each other in respects. So it's just like, yeah, that's how you get better. But, you know, like, if Steven Spielberg might have taken something from another director. And, like, if you recognize it, that's super cool. But it's not necessary for you to enjoy the film or to understand right. the film. So, yeah, like, yeah it's, fi- it's fine to have references to other things. But that should never be taking away from your actual narrative, your actual themes that you're trying to work with.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. You shouldn't yes, I think that that's that's well said. I think and, and again going back to our to our you know first interview about about being a film critic, I think being a film critic puts you in, in, in an interesting position because I think, and this is kind of how you know in the book as quoted from Ayn Rand, she kind of parses it into, into two questions that you can you can judge an artist on their philosophical framework and you can judge an artist mm. on their on their technique. So you can yeah. have a really good movie that paints a picture of humanity that you find reprehensible. You should be right. able to, you know, you should be able to, to critique both and then to evaluate both on their own merits. You can have a really well, you know. So for example, she says this about Salvador Dali that he his 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 work is technically very masterful, but his perspective mm-hmm. on humanity is deplorable. But that's kind of how she parses it out. Um, I kind of like Salvador Dali, so I don't quite agree with her on that. But that's right, but yeah, that... <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I I can appreciate the point that she's making. Do you, as somebody who follows the film critic world, is it is it safer to just stick to to technological critique and to avoid the philosophical critique, or is it maybe safer to do the other in order to avoid you know getting into some kind of nitpicky other? You know, it seems to mm-hmm. me that it's easier to be kind of the armchair critic if you focus on the philosophy, not on the technical filmmaking, because it's probably very hard to know technical details about a movie, yeah. camera lenses, et cetera, but everybody has an opinion on how people are. You know, we're all kind of, you mm-hmm. know, front kind of the, the uh, Paul Krugman quote, we're all kind of, you know, armchair sociologists after, you know, sure. so, but I'm curious from you and, you know, in, in, in being a more serious film critic, what, what avenue do you find is easier to critique the philosophical evaluation of humanity in a film Mm. or the technical aspects of the film?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, You know, in some ways, it probably depends on the film. Because, I mean, look at, you know, the last one where uh, Nine Days, which I loved. That movie was trying to say a lot about like humanity and stuff. So for that one, it was kind of easier to dig into that, look at it from that perspective, where obviously Space Jam kind of led me down more of a business path of what, where film is going. Right. Whereas, you know, if I want, I think my, my, my personal interest is probably more towards the side of the, like, philosophy, the human element in general. Um. You know, I'm I'm def- you know I'm not someone who could like tell you about, like I can tell you like some basic camera stuff, but like if you're like oh they use this camera and that affects it this way and like I have no idea. I'm not like an in the weeds film technology person. You know, I definitely I have a better grasp of you know story structure than like oh why would you use a Dutch angle here? It's like I don't I don't know. <laughs> like I I get like the you know, person half their face is in shadow. It's like, all right, so that's probably a sign they're like they're teetering on good versus evil or something. I can get like the base stuff there. But I I guess I would probably generally lean towards more the human element. Um you know, I think one of the interesting things that's going on right now that a lot of the film critics I think are are pushing back on to a degree from and I think some some lazier film critics fall into this and then the public does too often which is needing to have your hand held on like what is right and what is wrong in a film right. or a tv show where it's like uh, I know I saw some twitter thread from a guy who I think he's at NYU film school and like people were objecting to one of the films he was showing cuz they're like oh well you know it wasn't clear that this guy what what he was doing was wrong and he's just like well, it is wrong, like, and I think it was. It might, I think it was a Scorsese film because I think Scorsese is a guy who's a good example of this. Where like, some people watch The Wolf of Wall Street and they take away like, that life is dope. I aspire to this. And I think the film is actually you know, critiquing Jordan Belfort and all the people he worked with pretty harshly. I that was my takeaway. <laughs> and I. Right. I, I thought it was a little telling just myself watching the movie. And I guess it's a little self-aggrandizing being like, I got the point. But, like, you know, that whole movie is pretty fun. It's pretty funny. Right. But I kept laughing for the last hour. <laughs> when right. I think a lot of people stopped. I'm like, I thought it was hilarious his life was falling apart because I'm like, you're such an asshole. Like, you deserve right. all these things. But and then that I think that the ending of that movie is so perfect and is what really wraps it up. I think you know one of the better movies of the last decade, where it ends on Jordan Belfort at a seminar and a bunch of people are just you know staring intently at him, like excited to learn the lessons from this felon. Right. <laughs> like, no. Right. Absolutely. I and think. That's- like, if you didn't get it, if you didn't understand it was bad, I don't. I'm not going to blame Scorsese for that. Like because he didn't hammer you over the head with right because he because at the end of the movie he he didn't
0: hold up a card that said you know mm -hmm. Bell for equal criminal like i mean you know what i mean like it wasn't literally laid out in front of you that people can't yeah i i i agree with you i i i see that sometimes too where i think uh did people completely miss the point of the movie almost i i it's it's bizarre how that happens i don't know why and and in, in a lot of these cases, I'm, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think it's the writers or the director's fault. I think it's almost the audience is choosing to be completely stupid sometimes. I mean, I really <laughs> can't have my head around it. I mean, the most, I think the most important example, not the most important, most certainly an example of this mm-hmm. is people getting mad at Trump Thunder for Robert Downey Jr. in Blackface. Like he was making fun of that. Like the point of his character was showing how self-absorbed he was, that he would do that think it was funny. The whole point of that was that it was dumb for him to do it and that people are missing. It's like, guys, he's, he's on your team. He's saying that (laughs) he's saying what you're saying.
1: I I don't understand sometimes. I really don't. The only only critique of that I can understand is just the idea that like, is, is the joke that you're making there is the critique that you're making. Is it worth having a white actor being blackface for the entire, like almost the entirety of your movie? I think that's a fair question. You can come at it from that perspective and be like, yes, I if people think it's never worth it, that's fine. That's a legit perspective. I, I, you know, I enjoy that movie. It's a great movie. I've, I think, you know, would he get nominated for an Oscar today? I think it's still kind of insane that he got nominated la- that time. <laughs> I think it's deserved. I think it, like, sure. it's a fantastic sure. performance. Sure. Right. But, yeah, it's, it is interesting. I think there is too much of, like, uh, yeah, I think that is something where, obviously, you know, if a black person's uncomfortable with it, they're uncomfortable with it. That's- I'm not going Yes, no. But, I, I think that's legitimate. To think, I get it, and I don't think it's funny is
0: totally fine.
1: Yeah, but I, but, I, I do think I, there's I that that they are in
0: fact making fun of that. Like they're not saying yeah. this is good. Like the the joke really is the character is a fucking idiot for doing this. Now that may not be funny, and that, that I totally understand. But yeah, it, it is a joke. Like the punchline is the character being being stupid. Right. Like, it, the-
1: like no one should have watched that film and then been like, oh, I should go do blackface. They'll be hilarious. It's right. like no. Right. This is like deranged that he thinks that this is okay. Yes. And I mean, even the, you know, the, the, uh, I'll, I'll use a defensive word right here, but the full retard thing. Right. You know, that, that's not actually, uh, obviously, like now people would probably just not want you to use the word, which fair yeah. enough. But again, that, that is actually critiquing like filmmaking in Hollywood where it's like trying to use people with disabilities to win awards. Right. Like it's, right. it's you know, and on, on some level <laughs> like obviously you shouldn't be unable to tell those stories, but right if that's your primary motivation, it's you know, it's kind of grotesque that, that's Absolutely. what you're motivated by. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that yes. too often people just again, there's that comfort thing, and it's fine to want to be comforted by stuff, but you should also be open to being challenged, you know, like you know, that Ayn Rand thing you just read, where you know, I think that I think there's a point where you know, you've gone too far where, like, if, you know, if you're, like, looking at, you know, the old Nazi propaganda films, you can admire the technical aspect, but, like, if someone came out with something anywhere in that realm today, my takeaway would not be, like, well, it's technically amazing, so I'd be like, no, this is, this is fucking, no, this is too far, this is bad. I don't really care about the technical aspect. But as long as you're not, you know, endorsing something that's just, you know, as long as you're not endorsing genocide or right. Like, like right now, if you like made some film that was like, you know, where vaccine led to something terrible, I'd be like, probably not the time for that guys. Like that's, right. regardless of everything else you're doing, you're that you could end up killing people right now. Right. But right. As long as you're within some realm of like not actively harming people, it's fine if you have something that I disagree with, as long as you make it, it's, it's entertaining, it's well thought out. It's If it's well done, I'll respect it. I might not all out love it, but if I see a movie where I disagree with its philosophical point, I can still be like, oh, that's like an A- for me. I mean, like, David Fincher is one of my favorite filmmakers. He's a guy who seems to have a really dark view on humanity in like 90% of his movies. I mean, uh, what's the one where the guy ages backwards that's like benjamin the only button. one that feels yeah benjamin button is like the only one of his films that feels like kind of optimistic about like human life right yeah, otherwise you've got like gone girl you've got seven it's just a lot i guess the game kind of ends in a life-affirming way but like those those are the exceptions like in general it's pretty dark stuff and i still love it i i, have a, I think i have a generally more optimistic view i Spielberg is a guy I'd probably am closer to <laughs> emotionally. <laughs> yeah, where I'm like, yeah. yeah, you know, he could make Munich, but also most of his films end in a somewhat of uplift. But uh, yeah, I can still be like, David Fincher is fantastic. I love it, even though he's going to some dark places that I, the he has a darker view on humanity than I do. I think, and I still love it. That's fine. I think we should. Again, be open to people who challenge our perspectives on the world. Even, even if we come away still disagreeing, it's worthwhile. And I think it's too many people now they only want things to cater to what they already believe. Um, if a character disagrees with them, they want it to be like clear that that character is wrong, right? And, and then, like something bad should happen to them, or someone else should come in and dunk on them. Like, you know, not the world isn't the West Wing. Like I enjoyed the West Wing, but you know, you're <laughs> always just gonna have the bad guy gets shunned by a great speech. Right. Uh, exactly. know, it's okay to have the bad guy say his thing, and we're just we in the audience are hopefully aware that guy's the bad guy because what he's saying is you know is wrong. Or, or and then obviously if you make you know something more overtly political, you know, people are gonna have different takeaways. And I don't think Unless you're doing, you know, like a satire or something, I don't think a lot is gained by like making. By just like I said, like I, I, think I appreciate Scorsese because he's not hammering me in the head, right, over and over. Like this is my point, this is the takeaway. Let me underline it for you. Like because that's and also that's not how you convince people. You, you know, the people who already agree with you might love it, but you don't actually change people's minds by hammering it in the head with stuff. You, you, the subtle storytelling goes a long way. I think that's a
0: really good point. I, and I think it brings up a, a good a good thing to parse out the difference between ambiguity and nuance. That I think mm. I think, good writers are never yeah. ambiguous, but they, they are often nuanced. I think it's important for characters, I think it's important for the audience to be able to determine uh, that a character is good or bad, but that a writer can put a character in a nuanced way so that that discovery takes time and effort but i think that those are those are different things for mm-hmm. example i don't think martin scorsese would ever say uh oh i'm kind of on the fence about how some of my mafia characters are like i think you say no they're fucking criminals like they murder people yeah. they murder people they have other sides to them as well but they're still murderers like it's, mm-hmm. it's a very clear distinction there's nuance but not ambiguity and that i think that that's a, an important, um, Wedge between, events,
1: right? yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you know, and th- there's definitely room for ambiguity in storytelling, but yeah, like to your point, it's like if you look at the, the Sopranos, Tony Soprano has nuance, but he is a terrible person, absolutely. And I'm perfectly fine with an ambiguous ending. Obviously, a lot of people are upset by that one, in part, I think, just because the screen went to black and they were confused. But <laughs> if I uh, I'm, per- I'm perfectly happy with like ambiguity in in some level I actually really like generally ambiguous endings where you just kind of like oh, are to make your own d- determination okay I, a lot of my favorite stuff does that on some level I know it really bothers other people which actually kind of makes me like it more just cuz uh, you know I'm kind of a dick at least in that respect but
0: I uh, so this is really funny
1: so I I
0: despise cliffhanger endings I despise <laughs> them I think here's what I'll say about cliffhanger endings I am okay with an ending not being spoon fed to you but i think that an ending i think the film ought to contain enough information in it that there is a right and a wrong answer to what the ending of the movie means that it's hard to get to is fine but there ought to be a destination we can all agree on let me let me give an example of such a movie um what is uh it's not david lynch Who, who's who's the guy that did uh, um not Crimson Peak, the um, television series that was extremely ambiguous and. I mean, we're making some <laughs>
1: radio right now. No, it's called. Uh, it's called um, so not. are you talking about Twin Peaks or? Twin Peaks, thank you. Peaks. So that is David Lynch. David Lynch, okay.
0: Now, what movie did he make that was just completely, I mean, almost is that is that, Am I thinking of Mulholland Drive, or am I thinking of a different
1: one? Um, I mean, the, that was my takeaway of Mulholland Drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, was, I, was, I did not read much up on it before watching yes. it, and uh, it would have been helpful to know that like, it's very much like a dream logic film. Yes.
0: Now, here's the thing. If you read the Wikipedia page, which I have done on that movie a couple of times. Yes, I, I have as well. Yes. Apparently, according, according to David Lynch, the movie, the ending is actually, there's like an answer to it. There's like, hmm. if you if you understand the movie, you can reach the actual conclusion. There's, so, so there's something like that he says about the film. Now, that I'm okay with. What I don't like is when artists say things like, well, it means whatever you want it to mean." I don't, I don't, to me that <laughs> that feels kind of cheap because again it goes back to i ought to be able to look at a work of art and infer from it mm-hmm. your perspective on some aspect of humanity i don't have to agree with it but i should be able to infer it um and to say that i can think whatever i want to think it's it, it's as if there's you're not presenting a perspective i guess and that's why i mm-hmm. don't like the finger endings because it, 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 um, it's robbing you of some <laughs> important aspect of the artistic work
1: I will say there there are movies that you know end in very cliffhangery ways, and that, that's not necessarily my favorite. I, I like kind of, and like I guess The Sopranos is a little bit of that because there's obviously the potential he's about to be killed. I I kind of like when I think about the ambiguous endings, I really like. Um, I, I forget, Jimmy, have you seen Watchmen or The Leftovers? I've seen both. All right, perfect. Yeah. So both of those have somewhat ambiguous endings. Wait, no, no, wait, no. Why? Why is the leftovers ambiguous? Well, the action, you know—the ending ending is not ambiguous. Obviously, uh, Nora and Kevin have returned to each other, but. Well, yeah, obviously, hey, spoilers for Watchmen and the Leftovers. (laughs) But uh, go watch them if you haven't skip this like the next five minutes and go watch right now. No, no, go ahead. For people who haven't watched those, two great shows the last 10 years. Yeah. Watch
0: is a fantastic film series. I love them. I'm I'm one of, I guess, a handful of people that love the comic, the movie, and the series. I love all three. I recommend all three. And the leftovers is also fantastic. If you haven't seen leftovers, watch leftovers. Anyways, yeah, so but yes, go ahead. And yeah, so leftovers. So that one, uh, first of all, did you like it or not like it?
1: Because that, 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 well, that, that, that's I, the state. I, I love it. love the ending, love okay. the ending. Okay, um, but yeah, so if, if people don't want to watch and they just want to get the basics of what we're talking about, uh, at the very start of the series, two percent of the world disappears, they've gone, they vanished, no explanation. And... and i think it was like the second to last episode one of the characters is in a machine that will supposedly take her to where her family has disappeared to it'll take her to whatever other world dimension wherever it is that they are it's going to take her there and then we cut away from her as she's about to say something so we don't know what she's what she's about to say if she's going to get out if she's going to stay in And then the last episode, it's now her, and she's an older woman. And gradually, we realize that, like, we're still in the world that we were in at the start, but she's kind of disappeared. She's just living in Australia on her own. And then the other main character she was romantically involved with, he shows up and pretends like he doesn't know her for a while, but, like, once keep hanging out with her. At the very end, they're having a conversation, and at this point, he's revealed that he obviously does know who she is. And she tells him that she did go in the machine and she went to this other world. And in that world, 98% of people had disappeared. And the 2% that disappeared in their world were the only ones that remained. And so she ultimately sees her family because her kids and her husband disappeared. And she sees them, realizes that like they're happy. They've moved on because it's been years since she disappeared in their world. And so she eventually seeks out the guy who first created the machine that could transfer you and gets him to build the machine to send her back because she feels like she doesn't have a place there. And then Kevin, the other character, he tells her, like, I believe you. And she's, you know, shocked that he believes her. And I think, it, you know, it's very ambiguous as to whether or not she is telling the truth. Did she actually do this? Did she go over? Or did she just decide, I've had enough with the life I've led, I'm just going to live in Australia now, regardless of everything else? Why would... Okay. What do you think? Because I... Okay, this is actually <laughs> a, perfect, a perfect
0: example of this. Okay, I think... You you tell me. Do you think she went, or do you think that she stayed behind?
1: I, I've never 100% decided either way, in part because I, as the uh, season two theme of the the intro theme says "Let the mystery be," but okay. Okay. I, I will say logically, I would say probably she didn't go over. <laughs> but no, from an emotional standpoint, I believe she did. So I, I I've just okay. decided to leave it ambiguous. Okay, I, let I me think ask you a
0: stronger opinion okay. here. Did the leftover series? Did it ever lie to you? Let me give you two examples of why I think she absolutely did go back. Two examples. All right, I like okay. it. Hit me. Season one. The lady here talking about who in the in the later seasons tries to go back and i think does go back is Mm -hmm. an investigator for basically you know insurance claims or something related to these disappearances okay right and people come up to her and they say hey i think other people are disappearing and she says no there are no other disappearances this thing doesn't happen anymore remember when she says Mm -hmm. that yeah okay now is that true are there any other disappearances in in the rest of the series
1: not not that we know of, yeah. No, no there, aren't there any are any more. Not. There are not any more.
0: So that a, a claim that the film series makes or that this series makes, that is true. That one, there are no they said in the beginning, and it's true. There are no, there are no other disappearances. Mm-hmm. The second one is when they go to a town called Miracle. Now, everyone in Miracle is saying, God, Miracle is a great place because no one here disappeared, all this and right. all that. And then people in Miracle end up coming forth and saying, Hey, the reality is what there are
1: no miracles in Miracle. And there are no miracles A Miracle. No miracles oh, ever. Oh, see, so yeah, I think you're wrong on that one. Who, what, the girl coming back from the coma? Yeah. It's not a miracle. People come out <laughs> of the all the time. It's not a miracle. It's not a miracle I mean, that, at all. All right, but see, the, the, this is what I like about the show, is they're pretty, you can take whatever perspective you want on pretty much everything <laughs> in that show. No, because, like, that, that was their purpose, they were purposely seeking that out, where you could view that as a miracle. You could be, like, people come out of comas um the the episode where i mean three times we see kevin die and enter into this you know kind of other reality that could just be his brain firing off things that he's imagining and then he ultimately comes back out of it and he never actually died or it could be an actual place that people go when they die and he's able to come back and you and you what? can take and whatever you, perspective you, use, you want.
0: You use your penis as a way to unlock a door. Are you kidding me? It's yes. obviously a dream. That's insane. <laughs> no, That was a dream. There are no miracles A Miracle. There are no other disappearances. And Laura went in the machine to the <laughs> other world, selfishly decided to come back rather than help those 2% of people. And maybe this happens in the future. But hey, everybody, we now have these technologies that bridge our truth together. <laughs> Let's fucking get back together. Laura doesn't do that. She goes back. Well, <laughs> like
1: but, but, but my, my point on this, though, is what you decide on that, I don't think really matters to the story. The, the point is, Kevin believes her. He sure. decides sure. either he legitimately just believes her or he's just like, this doesn't matter to me. I love you. You're back in my life. That's it. Like, okay. he's gotten to that point where he can just. I think, you know, these are broken people throughout the series. And he's reached a point where he's like, this is what matters. And so he's just like, yeah, I believe you. I'm not going to, like, try to nitpick this and figure it out. And so that's what meant. So you can take whatever you want from it but the point is the characters know. and then watchmen i think is a little bit different because i think okay, wait, but
0: so before watchmen let me say this i think that's an important distinction that even under my framework i will allow for cliffhanger endings when they do not murky the the message the artist no, has yeah, about no, no,
1: that's what that's what i agree with you on is i think there's room for ambiguity in like how things end but, but as it long, can't long as it's the not picture it can't model the statement yeah, it's, it can't be detracting from what else you're doing yeah, which is why I think Watchmen ends ambiguous, but I think to your point, I think there's probably a right answer on that one where I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but Regina King's character you know, she's, she fell in love with uh, Dr. Manhattan. He has is, he is now died, but the, the, we're led to believe that potentially he has found a way to transfer his abilities into an egg which sounds ridiculous but it, it works in the show <laughs> and so she eats this egg and then she goes outside to her pool and it ends with her potentially about to walk on water right and, or she's about to fall into the pool which would honestly not be totally out of character for the tone of that show and just damon lindelof also did the leftovers and lost like you know he definitely has a sense of humor it wouldn't be that out out of the realm but because of the way that show has, like, thematically that show, that season is of Watchmen is about the battle against white supremacy in large part. Right. So I think the idea that it ends with a black woman taking on godlike powers feels <laughs> like the right. thematic ending to that show more than she falls into the oh, pool. Yeah. Right, like right. now you could think she falls in the pool. And no, sure that like right. ruins anything of, of the show, which is why it's okay. It's ambiguous. Right. I see your point. But like you said, some endings are ambiguous, but it feels like there's probably more of a right answer, and I think that's an example of that.
0: Sure, and 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 yeah. So maybe there there would be three cases. There would be ambiguous endings that really have no impact on the philosophical message and are therefore permissible. There are endings that are ambiguous and, it's, and it may be an absolute sense, but more or less lean in one direction over the others. Those are not great, but better than the last alternative, which is an ending that is, the, an, an ending that is ambiguous and the ambiguous ending causes the message of the movie to become ambiguous. Right. It just becomes right a confused
1: movie. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. I can, I, I can accept
1: those three categories. That's fine. I, I I always want the nuance within the categories too. So you know, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh,
0: that was interesting. No, I'm I'm glad that we got to talk about leftovers since I haven't. Uh, I really enjoyed that series, and I and like I said, I enjoyed the Watchmen as well. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was well done. Um, I, I still tell people read. I I think if you're gonna read one graphic novel, read Watchmen. I really think that that's a fair thing to say.
1: Read Watchmen. I I, I definitely have to at some point. It was... Uh, I, I have not
0: done it. It was absolutely excellent. Um, okay, Joe. Uh, we checked off all my boxes and more. Anything else
1: you wanted to talk Perfect. about today? No, not off the top of my head. I think, you know, This was a productive conversation. And I, I got to fit in, like, a bunch of my favorite shows and just talk about them. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Manipulate the medium. Yes, no, very good. I... Um, I like this conversation. When I read your review for Space Jam, I thought finally here is the excuse I need to really sit down and and kind of, you know, think about this, uh, you know, stories of science or technology question. It's been bugging me for a while. So I I appreciate the review gave me a good excuse to do that. Um, Joe, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We we, we definitely miss having Joe Stanford. Uh, Should have him back on next weekend. Um, But uh, Joe, always a pleasure to see you. Last time, go ahead and give it out again. Any places people can follow you. And like I said, we'll put it in the video description as well. But go ahead. And anybody who wants to hear or see more of Joe Matt's go where can they find you?
1: Um, on Twitter, it would be at Joe E. So J-O-E-E, Matt's, M-A-T-Z. Um, yeah, you don't need to follow me on Instagram. I don't do anything on there. <laughs> and then uh, if you do fantasy football, uh, I'll go to the IB network on Spotify or Apple, and I am one of the uh, fantasy football hosts. So go check that out also. And I, I did uh, for that same network at IB network. I also did uh, the podcast on the Falcon and the winter soldier from earlier this year. So go check those out. If you, if you need to get more MCU, I honestly, I'm a little burnt out on the MCU as much as I did like Loki, which was the best show so far, but yeah, ch- check out the IB network. bunch of podcasts covering different pop culture, sports topics. So go check that out, and obviously uh, continue to listen to this one because I mean, you guys are you guys talk about some stuff that I do not know about, which is always always fascinating. Uh, bridging bridging the gaps in our in our cultural dis- in
0: our cultural discussions. Maybe that'll be our working theme.
1: Um, there you go. I like it.
0: Yes, uh, definitely followed Mass. He's, he's been a close friend for years. I consider him to be one of the top analytical minds that I know everything Joe says I take seriously, even when I don't agree with it. Uh, although I find myself more and more agreeing with things that he says, but don't tell him that I said that. Uh um, <laughs> Be sure to follow Joe on those platforms. Again, see in below our video. Also follow us at roses underscore rhetoric. That'll get you to our YouTube, to our Twitter and Instagram. Obviously we're on YouTube. It's Google roses and rhetoric will come right up. And then lastly, follow our charming co-host goes to Stanford at Jose Four underscore square vote on his Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, I am I Hacking signing off for Joe Matts saying ciao.